in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. Bills safety DeMar Hamlin collapsed on the field during Monday night football. Uh, the Bills have given an update that he suffered cardiac arrest. He is in critical condition at a hospital in Cincinnati. Uh, the game was postponed. They were about halfway through the first quarter of that game. Ultimately, both teams ended up leaving, and the Bills have gone back to Buffalo. Uh, but DeMar Hamlin is in critical condition. He is alive uh, this morning as of the recent update, but an extremely scary situation. Uh, I don't know that it has been uh, anything that anybody had uh, any sort of training or preparation for a situation where uh, legitimately fearful that a teammate, that a player had died on the field. I mean, it was, it was awful. Uh, I, I keep seeing these tweets about that the league was going to resume at five five minutes later. I don't know if that's very much true. I think, like you just said, I think no one knew how to respond. Right. I think all the, as as high up as the league office, it's never been. You've never seen something like this. So I think they were waiting to see what happened, and then the two coaches got together and probably said, "We got to get our teams off the field," and they kind of dictated what happened. But taking shots at at this time, I just I, I don't like it because no one really knows what was on those conversations. No one really knows what was said. I'll say this about the broadcast crew: um, we've done things like this in terms of media and TV and having to respond to stuff that you know you don't know how to respond to. And you just right. said, I thought they did a fine job. Yeah, what are you supposed to do in that moment? Right. I mean, you're supposed to somehow react to this when there's no information coming. Um, so I actually thought they did a terrific job in that sense. Uh, showed their emotion. But, you know, it was it was awful all the way around. And, um, yeah, just, I mean, look, you hope for the best. Um, he's been induced uh, uh, to try to figure out what happened here. And um, it was emotional and it was scary and everything you can describe it. Yeah, I mean, there's been criticism for the NFL, which I think is, I mean, maybe we'll get more details about the decision-making yeah, about process. what really that, happened. That maybe there will be some deserved criticism, but ultimately – they made what was the right decision last night in a situation that they, I mean, weren't prepared for basically. No, who, and who, no. they ultimately made the right choice. And that I think is the main takeaway from the decision-making part of the NFL last night is that they did make the right decision. Yeah, ultimately they did. Right. And how long it took them to get there ultimately is irrelevant. Maybe we'll have some details about the decision-making process and maybe that changes and maybe somebody does deserve criticism, but ultimately they got to the point that they needed to get to. And even if it was driven by the coaches, even if it was um, Sean McDermott and Zach players or the players, I mean, I saw a tweet this morning that once the players left the field, went to the locker rooms and they still didn't know if the game was going to be called or not, the Joe Burrow and the other captains for the Bengals went over to the Bills locker room to talk to them. And I don't know what they said, but basically went over there to be like, hey, we're sorry. What's going on here? Um, so, yeah, just a a brutal situation to be in and one where everybody's hoping DeMar Hamlin is able Recovers. to survive this. Yeah, able to survive this and that DeMar Hamlin is uh, able to stay with us through this. I will say one of the things, um, the DeMar Hamlin... Uh, toy drive charity. Did you see that on Twitter no. that he had 
initially they their goal was twenty five hundred dollars, and the last update I saw this morning, I think Albert Breer tweeted it out, was up to two point five million dollars is how much has been donated to the Hamlin charity toy drive. So people have uh, stepped up, found that, gone out of their way, and right. uh, and a good sign at least. So. We'll see what happens next for the NFL and these two teams. And hopefully we get at some point in the near future, a uh, good update, a positive update on DeMar Hamlin. Press box transition. Donovan Mitchell scored 71 points in an overtime win. The Cavaliers beat the Bulls 145 to 134 last night in 49 minutes. Mitchell had 71 points, 11 assists and eight rebounds. He also Missed a free throw with four seconds left. Got the offensive rebound and scored to tie the game when they were down two. Luca did this. Is this he just did? something they do? He did. <laughs> I mean, is this just part of it? I'm going to miss this and get the rebound and score to tie the game. They're getting good at it, apparently. Yeah. It's not easy to do, by the way. Yeah. And if he doesn't do that, he doesn't get to 71. I think that basket put him at 58. So he would have been in the 50s. Still very good, but not 71, which is a fairly ridiculous number. And by the way, across the NBA last night, Clay Thompson was in the 50s. 50s. LeBron was in the yeah. 40s. I think Joel Embiid was in the 40s. There were some crazy, ridiculous games last night in terms of individual performances. Are you surprised, 71, Luka in the 60s, these things are happening? Uh, I just, I know they're great players. I, I get that. I know they're great players. But 71 for a player, 60 for Luka, are they that much better? They're pretty crazy numbers. Um, I guess I, I'm not surprised that it that it happens. I think I'm surprised with maybe the last two to three weeks of the season, how many monster games we've seen. Like, it seems like just now, like for the last two weeks, yeah, just everybody's amazing. scoring 40, 50, the 160 and 171. 71. Like, maybe it's just that it's happened so much for different guys across the, the recent stretch of games. Luca going for 60 once in a season? No, that wouldn't surprise me too much. If, if he's got, you know... He goes for 60 again, then yeah, a little bit. Um, I think, by the way, I think Luca had like 35, 10, and 9 or something <laughs> last night. Like, Luca, Luca, average had, game, right? Luca had a phenomenal game, and it was like the eighth best, like the eight game, best of this, game of the, of the yeah. night because guys are just having ridiculous games where Donovan Mitchell can score 71 and not even like, not even an empty 71 because he had to make a miss a free throw and get the rebound just to force overtime and ultimately win the game. That's a great, great question. UNLV is expected to hire Michael Schur as defensive coordinator. He was the linebackers coach at Arkansas. Um, However, I'm assuming Barry Odom's going to be the de facto defensive coordinator, right? Like head coach name, but calling plays and Barry Odom, or excuse me, uh, Bobby Petrino becoming offensive. Right. So they'll have a defensive coordinator, but it definitely seems like we'll be putting most of the right. Emphasis on, on what the Barry defense Odom looks running like. the defense, right? As to what Barry Odom does. No, great, great question. Jim Harbaugh would take an NFL head coaching position if offered. Uh, that's according to the Athletic. Uh, Benjamin Albright tweeted out that the Broncos have reached out to Jim Harbaugh. Harbaugh uh, has been at Michigan for the last eight seasons. Uh, obviously, he was at Stanford, then went to the 49ers. In three years of the 49ers, he was 44-19-1, made the NFC title game three times in four years, also made the Super Bowl once, lost it, obviously. Um, 
You think he's going back to the NFL this time? I think he's going back. I'm not sure he's going back to Denver. If I'm him, I wait till uh, Black Monday and see everything that's available. I don't know if I jump at the Broncos right away. No, come on. No, I don't think. I don't know if I jump at the Broncos. I wait to see, because I think more than one, one more than one team might be interested in him. So Look at his NFL record, it's very good. His worst season was eight and eight. They did miss the playoffs, but four years and one eight and eight season was as bad as it got. Um, here's a tweet. This is uh, Will Funkel. Will Kunkel. That's a K. Uh, from Charlotte. Jim Harbaugh has made it known he's sincere in his interest in the Panthers head coaching job. He likes the roster and loves the opportunity. The Broncos job is not as attractive because of Herbert and Mahomes. Okay. And, and Stidham. <laughs> <laughs> That is a point that I've kind of been making for a little while here now that in this division, it's going to be really hard for the next decade to have any sort of sustained success. Unless you're one of those two teams. Right. And I would find it, and and listen, Harbaugh's probably never going to say this publicly, but I would find it fascinating if you had a coach turn down the Broncos or potentially the Raiders at some point because of the other quarterbacks and the other teams in the division. That, to me, would be fascinating if that were to happen. And I don't necessarily blame Harbaugh for it because in like just comparing the teams individually, the Denver Broncos job is probably going to be a better job than the Panthers. I mean, you do inherit the whole Russell Wilson mess, but it's the Carolina Panthers. However, the, the Panthers had a basically NFC title game championship on Sunday against the Buccaneers. They lost it. They're not going to the postseason, but they're six and nine team that was playing for their division right, title. Exactly. Whereas the Broncos could be six and nine right now and wouldn't be anywhere close to their division title. So I think that's a genuine concern that any coach should have and that the Broncos and Raiders should have going forward is how do we compete and how do we convince people we can compete? Next question. Uh, the Miami Dolphins have lost five in a row. They were once eight and three. Now they're eight and eight. They lost to New England 23 to 21, and both teams are now eight and eight on the season. Teddy Bridgewater started at quarterback. Skylar Thompson finished the game for Miami. Teddy Bridgewater uh, injured his hand. You still love the coach? Uh, yes. Right? Should I not still like Mike McDaniel? No, I'm not saying. I, I know you like them a lot. So five in a row is but, rough. Uh, though. That's tough. That's a brutal stretch to where they are going to likely miss the playoffs now because they lost five in a row and might be six in a row at the end of the season and are likely not playing without Tua again this no. season. Um, I don't know. Like right now, New England's in the postseason. Miami's out. I'm disappointed in that. Just from a. Uh, Entertainment standpoint, I don't want to watch the Patriots play. I mean, I guess if they give us the backwards lateral to Chandler Jones again, I'm on board. But do I really want to watch Mac Jones? I mean, over Skylar Thompson? Well, Skylar Thompson with a good coach and and good receivers (laughs) versus Mac Jones getting plays called by somebody who should not be calling plays and Matt Patricia. And who is he throwing the ball to? Like, oh, I'm with you. I don't want to watch the They're going to line up and hand it off to no. Ramondre Stevenson as I'd much rather as they watch possibly the can. So, like, I'd much I'm, rather watch the Dolphins. Just from an entertainment standpoint, yeah. can, can we get them out? Like, how do we get the Patriots away and get the Dolphins? Don't would they be play at Buffalo fun. this week? 
I can't remember who's going to Buffalo. Is it New England or is it Miami? It's I New, think England? New England's going okay. to Buffalo. That'd be fun. Uh, let's get a Bills win, knock them out, get the Dolphins in, even if it's Skyler Thompson. At least they can give the ball to like Tyree Kill scored a rushing touchdown. Just right. hand it to him and see how fast. Just fumble like they did. What was that against the Chargers? Just fumble and let him pick it up and run around <laughs> for 50 more yards in the touchdown. Be way more fun that way. Next question. The Bucs did win the NFC South to beat the Panthers to clinch the division in week 17. Uh, Tampa will host the best wild card team in the first round. Ugh. As of now, that is still the Dallas Cowboys, though that could change. Um, let me ask you this. How far do you think the Buccaneers could go in the playoffs? Like, are they a team that could legitimately make a run, or are they just, hey, they might win a home game? I think they might win a home game, and that's the Dallas Cowboys. You know, it's my team. It's a trap game. <laughs> it's a playoff game. <laughs> it's a road playoff it's a trap game. Playoff it can't game. be a trap game. Um, no, I think because they're at home, they could win a game. I think they could win a game at home. But is that the extent of it? Yes. Like, they win one yes. home game, and then they go on the yes. road to play the 49ers or yes, something like that. Yes, and then they would lose. I, man, if they got, and I don't know what would have to happen for this to uh, be the matchup. Home game against the Cowboys, they win. Can win. Road game against the Vikings, they can win that. And then they'd be in the NFC title game. Against the Niners or the Eagles? Possibly. Like I and yeah, and then like Jared just mentioned, they might be playing Brock Purdy in the NFC title game. <laughs> now, the San Francisco defense, well, Jared Stidham was really good against them. The San Francisco defense is probably too good for Brady to actually beat them, but there is a path for them to be in the NFC title game playing Brock Purdy that wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. So I think they lose their first game to the Dallas to the Cowboys. Cowboys. Okay. But there is a path for them to be playing for the NFC title game. Do you think Brock Purdy, if that if he happens to see Tom Brady in the playoffs, is like, oh, sweet, that guy's not very good. We beat the <laughs> crap out of them in December. <laughs> Coming up next, we'll get into the Golden Knights as they beat the Colorado Avalanche last night. Goes off somebody at the side of the Golden. To it goes William Carlson. And we've got a scrap. Kolasar goes after Andreas Englund. Kolasar locked up tight. Couple of right cross attempts. Anglin got his right arm free. Still locked up here. They're trying to punch, just not enough space. Now Anglin got his right over the top. Kolasar with a couple of rights. Helmets are still on. Oh, brutal uppercut from Kolasar. Anglin was rattled. His helmet has come off. Kolasar is still on. Anglin, a couple of hard jabs at the kidneys. Kolasar hanging in, grabs the collar. They're tiring now. Anglin comes over the top, grabs the jersey up against the glass in the corner, and the linesmen jump in. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios, this is the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. One of the longest hockey fights that we've seen. They stayed on their feet for a very long time. I don't, I don't like the people who get into hockey fights and just try to wrestle the other one to the ground. It's not a fight. No, because then the linesman can easily jump yeah. in at that point. It's not a fight. Like, you, you stay on your feet and yeah. punch him in the face if you're going to fight. If you're not going to fight, then don't fight because it probably shouldn't happen in the sport anyways. But if you're going to do it, don't just wrestle the guy to the ground. Um, by the way, Dave Gosher gave this stat on the broadcast last night. Keegan Colasar's all-time leader in Golden Knights history in total fights. Over Ryan Reeves. Uh, yeah, Reeves doesn't have that many, apparently. Keegan Colasar's got more fights than him, so... 
Who needs Ryan Reeves? Um, Golden Knights, so they beat the Avalanche three to two last night. Uh, first off, Nathan McKinnon, second game back, scored 25 seconds yeah. into the game. Uh, also, oh Nick, Nick Waugh scored twice, snapped a 17-game streak without a goal. But here's something that was interesting. Golden Knights at five-on-five five in this game. So take out all the special teams. Just five-on-five. Five. Golden Knights had an 18-4 to four advantage in high danger chances. Golden Knights had a 76% expected goals rate. When this was five-on-five... Five, awesome. Totally outplayed them. They crushed the Avalanche. And now, listen, both teams are very beat up. If these two teams were to play in the postseason... Who knows? This is probably not anywhere close to the two lineups right. that each team would be putting out on the ice. And Nathan McKinnon would be playing in, you know, his 30th game, not his second game since coming back or whatever that would be. So does this actually mean much if we get to a postseason series? Probably not. But I do think it's impressive that the Golden Knights can dominate a team at five on five even if the other team's beat up while not having anywhere close to their full strength lineup. I mean, the Golden Knights are playing Michael Amadio on the first line. They're playing Phil Castle on the second line. The third line is a guy making his debut for the season, plus Jonas Ronberg, plus Jake LeCision, right? Like Caden Korzak made his debut as a defense last night. This team is beat up, and they still dominated another NHL team that should probably be a playoff team. I think that's very a very impressive performance from the Golden Knights last night to be that good at five on five. They were almost 10 minutes shorthanded. They spent nine minutes and 56 seconds shorthanded last night, and they gave up just six shots on goal and only one high danger. That's really good. And so here's the interesting part for the season. Golden Knights averaging the second fewest shorthanded minutes per game. So they don't really take a lot of penalties. They're not killing penalties a lot, but when they do, here's what's interesting. They're fourth in the NHL in expected goals allowed per minute while shorthanded. So expected goals-wise, they're not giving up very much when they are on the penalty kill. But they're only 18th in the league in terms of goals allowed per minute while shorthanded. So there's a big gap there between fourth in expected goals allowed and 18th in actual goals allowed. And they rank 20th in save percentage while on the penalty kill. I don't know what it is exactly, but there's something there for the Golden Knights to not be getting the saves they apparently need when they are shorthanded because they're not giving up the chances. They're not giving up a ton of good chances to their opponents. But when they do, they go in. They go in. So I that's interesting there. They've been a lot better recently, by the way. Um, they're one of the five best penalty kills in like the last two or three weeks. So they're getting better in terms of that. But that's an interesting situation where you'd probably look at it and you'd say the strategy, the scheme is working well because we're not giving up a whole lot, but we're not actually making the plays we need to make goaltending wise to keep the pucks out of the back of the net, but they have been better recently and were excellent last. I mean, last night they didn't give up anything at all. So penalty kill should be good to go. Uh, Michael Amadio. Here's our guy last week. Said he should be on the top line. He uh, tipped it in a cake shot. He's got five goals in the last six games. Here was my favorite stat that I looked up last night. Michael Amadio is third on the team in goals per minute at five on five. Only Jack Eichel and Will Carrier are ahead of him. So while injured, you've gone out and said that Michael Amadio should be on the top line, which he is. Is he more than that? 
is he more than just an injury fill in or like, or obviously not first line when Jack Eichel comes no, back, but, but I think five goals in six games says something. So is he again? I, I know I should never say when they're fully healthy because it's the hockey team and they're never fully healthy, but if the golden Knights are close to full health, is he a third line player? Yeah, I think he is over. Maybe uh, is he over your guy? Well, who isn't over? Castle? <laughs> Let's be real here. Who is it? Like, we've seen enough. All of them should be over. Phil Kessel is not getting taken out of the lineup because they're calling guys up from Henderson to come play. Right. You can't really take them out at that point. Right. But when they get closer to health, why Full would, health. wouldn't Phil Kessel be out of the lineup? Because you have the misfits on two, two. Yeah. Which is where Kessel's playing at the moment. Right. Um, and then your fourth line, Carrier, Wah, and Kolasar has been good. Scored, they've been very good. Scored two goals just last the third night. line. It's the third line that's been a disaster. And right now, listen, it was Jake LeCision, Jonas Ronberg, and a guy making his debut for the season. Like, that's almost never going to be a good third line. The problem was, even when they were good at the start of the season, even when they were healthy at the start of the season, the third line was still a disaster for them. I think Amadi is at a point where this team gets healthy, close to full strength. He should be on the third line and whatever combination of Brett Howden and Michael Amadio and whoever you need to play center uh, should be there. And Phil Castle should probably not be in that lineup. And we'll see what happens with Amadio. I assume his goal scoring is going to decline relatively. Yeah. Soon. I mean, I don't think he's getting five and six right. and continuing. No, but I would be curious third to liner? see. Can he score if he's on, like it, it, they get close to full health. Right. He's on the third line. Can he score in the third line? Hutton or with Howden. When he's not playing right. with can he, the two best can players. Can he give you or two of the best players? And honestly, if you forget about the goals for a second, can that third line play in a one goal game in the third period? Because that's been the bigger issue is that Cassidy can't play them. Right. And can he trust to put them on the ice? Because here's what happened last night. The Golden Knights put Phil Kessel on the ice with Carlson and Smith. Smith. And Phil Kessel failed to clear the puck. And then the Golden Knights took took the penalty. Smith took the penalty. Right. And now it's not Kessel's fault that Riley Smith took a penalty. But Phil Kessel had one of the worst clearing attempts you've ever seen. And if he just clears the puck, they don't take a penalty. Phil Kessel also took a penalty himself last night. Granted, they killed it off like they did everything else. But, like, Phil Kessel hasn't been very good. He's hurting that line. And what it led Bruce Cassidy to do late in that game, he took Phil Kessel off that line. Nick Waugh came up and played on the second line in the final three minutes of that game last night. So there's no trust in Kessel to be out there, which is what the problem has been for the Golden Knights. They only have really two and a half lines they trust late in games, and that's what you get. Oh, by the way, speaking of late in games, Alex Petrangelo, Played six minutes and three seconds in the final six minutes and 56 seconds of the game. He had a three minute and one second shift, got a 53 second break, and then took a three minute and two second shift to end the game. This guy, when it comes to the playoffs, (laughs) won't be able to walk. If he can, he's... Can he even walk when it comes to the playoffs? If he can, he's like the most durable player in in the history of history. Because the Iron Man on his team, right. and he's the yes. most terrible guy. He played six minutes and three seconds of the final six fifty-six. <laughs> they got so that last shift was three minutes long. They sort of got stuck in the zone, which is why he was out there for so long. But they got a stoppage with like forty seconds left, and Bruce Cassidy left him on the ice. Like they got there was a face-off coming. Play is dead. 
You can chain. You can get a different defenseman in the game. Nope. Alex Petrangelo staying, staying on, the, on ice the game to finish this one out. It worked, but my God, are they playing Alex I mean, Petrangelo so much? He's obviously in incredible shape and can do this, but it's just January 3rd. Right. And they're running him out that right. much. Like, here's the other part of that, about that. Final 40 seconds, right? If you take him off and you give up a goal, the Avalanche tie the game. You still get a point because you're still going to overtime. Right. And you still might even get the second point because you're in overtime. Like the game before. Even if you lose, you still got one of the two points. It's That's when we talk about it's not that big of a deal on January 2nd for Petrangelo no. to be out there because what's it actually costing you? Maybe a point. But even then, it's not truly the direct reason you lost a point. It's and just, they still have to score, by the way. Right. It's just insane how much he's being used. All right, coming up next, Charles McDonald joins the show. It's Taysom again. Now he takes a quarterback to the left, and he takes it into the end zone. Taysom Hill right over the left hash mark. The Saints take the opening kickoff and just bang it 75 yards for the touchdown. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Joining us now is Charles McDonald. You can follow him on Twitter at 4Verts. Read his work at Yahoo Sports. Um, Charles, there was a brief time period last night where it looked like they might try to restart the Bills and Bengals game, but ultimately they postponed it or canceled it. We'll see what they decide there, but they didn't make the players go back out there. Is there any deserved criticism this morning of the way last night was handled? Um, I mean... Yes and no. Um, I'll say yes to the part where, you know, I know the league is coming out and saying that there was no no one gave any instructions about five minutes, but I think that's kind of what they have to say at a time like this. Uh, but at the same time, like, this is just, it's it's unprecedented. Like, I, I, I know just from talking to people last night, just from watching Ryan Clark on TV, um, I, look, I played football from uh, age seven up until my junior year in college. Uh, I have never seen anything like that. And, I mean, f- football is a game where you, you, you get conditioned to the idea that, okay, yeah, I, I might get hurt. Like, I've got teammates who've got messed up knees, ankles, hips, elbows. i got two herniated discs in my back um, from playing football. But you know, as, as as much as that stuff sucks, it's like it's it's almost an expected risk of playing football. And, and uh, I, I would I would say that everyone that plays has assumed that, or not assumed, but has made the choice that uh, the payoff of playing football is either more fun or more lucrative than whatever damage it does to your body. But you know, never have seen, quite frankly, like someone die on the field, and or not die, but you know, have his heart stop and it has to get restarted back um, on the field. And, you know, you you can just see, like, the way uh, the Bills players, like, immediately react. And the Bengals players, too. Like, when you see someone get up and fall over like that, um, you know it's not just your normal, uh, my my knee hurts, or even, even a concussion. Like, you know, even when we were going back and looking at like some of the plays where, where Tua Tungvaluwa has gotten hurt. Like he's at least walking and stumbling uh, before he's getting before he he you know is told to sit down. Like this guy just stood up and literally fell over. So uh, that's that's not really an expected outcome. Uh, 
we're talking about a 24-year-old professional athlete just drops in the middle of a game after what was a, a pretty routine hit. You know, like we, <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's the that that the, the the actual hit that happened. It was, I, I mean, obviously it wasn't a nothing burger, but in terms of in terms of like how many times we see that hit per game, like it's almost every play. You know, uh, and, and even the way he bounced it back from it, like I don't know if if that like the hit physically hurt him, but clearly. You know, he got hit right in the right spot where uh, it caused just a catastrophic, uh, you know, heart injury. Uh, and I, I think it's just hard to reconcile the fact that, okay, like I always knew that I could get hurt playing football, but now I'm seeing that, like, I can die. Like, it's, it, it's possible. Um, it was jarring to watch. And, and I also think just another facet of this was uh, this was, like, the, the biggest Monday Night Football game of the year. Uh, between two teams that are still contention for the number one seed in the AFC playoffs, and uh, there were a lot of eyes on this game for that reason, and then the whole thing came to a stop uh, in really just the most heartbreaking fashion you can imagine. Uh, and I, I, I think once once you saw, I mean, the, the, the one of the toughest things for me was was seeing like Josh Allen crying on the sideline because when I think of him, he just seems like the happiest go lucky guy. When you see him and guys like Stefan Diggs and Ed Oliver out there just really messed up. It, it kind of gave you um, uh, perspective on, on, on how bad this really was. So uh, I, I give a lot of credit to Zach Taylor because he seems to have led the charge on wanting to end the game. Uh, and, you know, look, look, it, it's, it, it can be hard in, in, that, in that situation when you are at the center of all this money and, um, quite frankly, an opportunity for the Bengals to get back to the Super Bowl with the number one seed for you to go and call off that game because it's just simply the right thing to do. I think that uh, that actually took a, a lot of guts uh, just based on how we know how the NFL operates things. And uh, I'm glad that they ended up making the right decision in uh, postponing the game. But, you know, it, it, it really is just it, it's, it's a wild card that, nobody really expected to happen. You know, I think Ryan Clark put it perfectly yesterday uh, when he said, at 24 years old, I didn't even think that I could die. And, look, I, I was the same way when I was 24, you know? Uh, I wasn't playing football at that point, but you still feel invincible. You still feel on top of the world. So uh, it was a very sobering, scary, tragic moment all around. On the, the, the side of you mentioned with the coaches there, with uh, McDermott and, and Zach Taylor, even if you put aside anything with like what they are as a, as a football coach, like that's the type of guy who makes that decision. That's the type of guy that you want to play for, that you want to be your head coach. Yeah. And I, I, look, I, I think that the way that those guys have uh, been able to interact with their players over the past few years kind of shows that too. Um, it's sad that it, it, it's sad that we had to have a, a moment of this magnitude to get the scope of, you know, really just how solid dudes these guys are. Um, because I, I really do think that, you know, it, it's really easy to say, hey, we need to call this off. But, like, when you're standing there and you know the stakes of what's going on and, and how these owners really view people as disposable, uh, I think that's that's kind of a tough stand to make. But uh, it was the right move. I mean, I look, I, I, I've never seen someone get CPR at the 50-yard line. Like, I've seen, I've seen, pe- I've seen people get stretched off. Uh, I've seen leg snaps. I've seen all types of horrible things. But when you're dealing with like the fragility of someone literally getting resuscitated, or or not even fully resuscitated, just getting their heart to start working again on the field, 
you have to stop the game. Uh, you just have to. You know, it's not even like it's not even like a potential like spinal injury or anything where you know you can kind of have the hope of all right, well maybe it's just a stinger and and he'll get back on his feet with a week of rest and, and be back because like like we see a lot where guys will get stretched off the field, but uh, just a, a, they got hit in a bad spot. This is this is something that was just like 100% catastrophic and and quite honestly it was random as hell. Like I. I, I no one was expecting that. No one's ever seen something like that. And it just, it, it, it kind of makes you pause just a little bit on what are the full risks of this game that I'm playing? Because if that can happen, I, I, I would imagine it's going to affect some guy's future and how they view themselves playing this. Yeah, it means absolutely nothing, zero. Uh, but they have games this week. What, what do you think happens here now? I mean, this is scheduling-wise. What, what, what do you think they can do here with this thing? Because the Bills flew home. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, people were bringing up the, uh, the 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 COVID year in 2020 when they had to reschedule a bunch of games, but the difference with that was that was closer to, like, the middle of the season. Like, there's there's one week left. Um, so I, 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 I don't know. Uh, and these, these, these TV contracts with these NFL teams, they're very, very rigid. Uh, I would hope that this would be one of the times where maybe they could take a step back and say, Money is not money, and our schedule is not the most important thing here. Uh, if we really wanted to, we have all the money in the world to shuffle arrangements around and make that happen. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't know if you, if you add like an ex, a special extra week nineteen game just for uh, the Bengals and Bills. If you just scratch it as a no contest, um, but even that, you know, it, it, it feels dumb to say this, but. And it, I, no, it not even feels. I mean, it is dumb to say this like right now. Uh, but you know, if you were to scratch the game and give it a no contest, and look, like that's that's one game that the Bills get to preserve on their winning percentage, and the Bengals get to preserve on their winning percentage. Like it, it, it doesn't actually matter. But uh, I guess when it comes to, to seeing these things, it, it ends up being a factor. I, I don't, I don't know what you do. Because um, like you said, Buffalo, they've gone home. I, I, I would feel. Really cruel at the. I think the idea of them making making them play a game this week is really cruel. Um, I mean, I don't even know the guy, and I was watching Sports Center until like two o'clock in the morning last night, just thinking about like all the times that I play football and have done dangerous things like that, or uh, things that feel routine in a dangerous sport, and you just never know. Uh, it, and it, it was just kind of jarring to see and, and, and wrap your head around it. So. I don't know what they do with the game. Um, if I were in charge, I would probably just rule it a no contest and say charge it to the game. Like, it is what it is. We're not going to play this game. Uh, you guys have to see why we're not playing this game. And uh, just hope that everyone can kind of be okay with that once the playoffs start. But uh, it's, a, it's a really tough situation, but I'm glad they got the first step part or the first step done in terms of just postponing the game because, you know, there were, there were some people last night saying, well, what do you do? If you postpone the game, well, that, that doesn't matter right now. You know, you have, you have, you know, 70 guys, including coaches on one side, that think their friend, their player, their brother has just died on the football field, and you're wondering about, like, when the next game is going to be played. Um, that, that part's not important, uh, and I, I kind of think that it should just cancel it altogether. Well, he is Charles McDonald. Charles, not the uh, most fun spot we've done with you, but we we appreciate it. Yeah, Good well, job there. Hopefully we'll be able to laugh next week. Yes, hopefully we will about right. uh, Georgia losing to TCU in the national title game. He's Charles <laughs> McDonald. Thank you, Charles. At Four Verts on Twitter, as always. We appreciate yeah. it, Charles. Thank you.
Uh, so there is Charles McDonald again. Uh, read his work at Yahoo Sports and follow him on Twitter at 4Verts. Um, all right. We got tickets to give away. If you want to go see the Collective Soul, they're playing on Saturday, January 14th, Pearl at the Palms. And we've got two tickets for you. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. If you want to go see Collective Soul at the Pearl at the Palms later this month, be calling number four at 702-364-1100. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Congratulations to Chris. He won tickets to go see Soul Collective a little bit later in the show. We will have some Golden Knights tickets to give away as they take on the Edmonton Oilers later this month. So stay tuned for that. Uh, I have a question for you guys. We talked to Charles McDonald and he talked about, you know, playing football. You sort of have an understanding of the risks that there's a good chance you get hurt. But that last night, was a massive deal because it sort of puts into your head, I could die doing this. Do either of you think we'll ever see a significant drop-off in football participation? Like, are events like this going to be enough for there to be, like, parents that say, my sixth grader is not playing football? I don't know what age kids start playing tackle football at, but my sixth grader is not playing tackle football. Like, will there ever be, or or is this sport too popular in this country that we won't see that drop off. I mean, all I was going to say is that I don't even think it has to do with popularity. I think it has to do with if you're not good enough at, if you're not good enough at basketball, the school will provide all the equipment, unlike baseball. So (laughs) it might be your only, I, I, I know that's laughable, but Certain people at the high school I went to, this that was their only way of getting out of the crappy town in Missouri we lived at. Well, and I think I think this was the same question uh, that we asked when uh, all the uh, concussion and CTE and all of that came up with participation numbers uh, drop in Pop Warner, um, and I don't I don't believe they have. So, um, no, I don't. I don't think that it takes a precipitous drop uh, from what happened last night. There would be an immediacy to it where parents will say, oh, no, you're not going to play that. But I think over time, the sport's way too popular for there being a huge number drop in participation. Yeah, it's it's just I a fascinating so. situation. Like, I, I'm not a parent, obviously. Like, did your son play football? No, he played other sports. Did he, did he want to play football? No, he wanted, yeah. no, he wanted to play soccer and other sports. My mom didn't want me to play football. And I think sixth, I think fifth or sixth grade was the first year that was like, Oh, you can play tackle football. And I didn't play it. Eventually I convinced her to let me play. I think it's sixth grade and I wasn't any good. And I was like, all right, I don't want to play anymore. So I didn't play after that. But like my mom was very much like, you're not playing football. Like, you know, it's, that's, you're just going to get hurt. Like that's a stupid thing to do. So I, I don't know. I just, because it's going to be from the the parent level initially, where right. your for, for the fifth grader kids. is sure. not going to sure. is or is not going to be playing tackle football. Sure. The fifth grader is not usually making that decision. It's right. going to be the parent. So I don't know. It's it's a situation that is because here's the other part about it that's interesting to me. We have had people die playing football, or more uh, usually practicing football. And it's happened at the collegiate level, too. Like, it's happened in fairly significant level of football. Happens at the high school level, obviously, too. But it doesn't register as much when, you know, a high schooler dies or even a collegiate player dies during, you know, August training or whatever. 
when it happens on Monday Night Football, and DeMar Hamlin is not dead, obviously. He's still alive, and we hope that he stays alive. But when even if he stays alive here, when it happens on Monday Night Football, when it happens on the biggest football game that everybody watches. Millions and millions of people. I'm, I, I'm curious if that registers anymore, or I, I think you guys are probably right. It probably won't have a significant impact that the actual participation in football probably stays the same right. because it'll be viewed as a freak accident that's right. not going to happen to me, not going to happen to my kids. To my kids. They'll be fine. And I'm, I don't know. I'm just, I'm curious just if there is some sort of significant reaction to what happened last night and how many kids are playing football. I will say that the several times throughout the history of the sport of football, Whenever things, this is not a great example of this, but whenever there were things that would cause like inter or national outrage, the game would go, oh, okay, yeah, we probably shouldn't have guys' ears ripped off during the game. Like Teddy Roosevelt, while he was president, was like, okay, we need you all colleges need to fix this because I'm pretty sure like they blinded his son during a football game. Um, the concussion, once they stopped burying them, they were like, well, what if we, like, fix the helmets and start actually mm-hmm. trying to prevent this thing and have a guy who should keep two out of there? So they're still not doing good on this. This is, this to me, I don't even know how this is preventable. Well, let me ask you this. That's a great question because you played the game. Uh, and this was my wife watching last night. And she watches football. I don't know if she consider her an expert. She wondered... You know, did the hit have anything to do with it? And that's that's what I don't know. Like it, because he gets up and then his heart obviously he has the cardiac arrest. Is that would that have happened if he never hit anybody? If he was just running? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I'm not a doctor. I have no idea. Yeah. But she asked that question. I couldn't answer her Please. on if the hit spurned something on. Because you and I have talked about this morning, baseball is hitting kids in the chest. You know, so yeah. I don't. I didn't see the hit close enough to where if that spurned it on or, or caused it so if the hit even if the hit caused it like charles said that's a normal hit in football like yeah, you're, yeah. Was it, it was not a crazy it hit wasn't derwin james like no. targeting is something you can maybe not completely but you can kind of get out of football you can tell guys stop lowering your helmet you can't really prevent what happened last night if it came from the hit without completely changing the way the game is played so i don't know what you do 